Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Today, I got a real treat for you guys today. Guess it's Jay Morrison. What an interesting story this guy had, man. He was literally a drug dealer, was in jail for like three years, and now is you know a TV personality, real estate investor, influencer, and social media. And this is such a cool story of transformation, and it is sure to inspire you for absolutely sure. I just want to give a shout out to Jay Alley. And they, uh, he or she bought the book on the yellow book on Kindle. I found Mr. Blanc online and listened to several of his podcasts and YouTube videos. He is the real McCoy. I plan on jumping on this real estate boat using everything I learned. Thank you, Mr. Blanc, for your time and commitment. Amazing book. Yeah, awesome. So you have not checked out the book, head on over to Amazon, type in financial freedom with real estate, and it surely will pop up. So if you love the book or love this podcast, leave us a review and we'll maybe shout you out on the next show as well. Also want to do a, Highlight anyone who's done their first, second deal or and or has quit their job. And today's Jonathan Graham. He did 153-unit property in Sun Valley, Idaho. And Jonathan partnered and created a team, raised $1.5 million to purchase this property. He did work with us in a full-time mentoring program with Andrew Niffen, who, of course, is president of Nighthawk. And that's really cool that Drew is still doing that as well. So if you value mentorship... You want to scale your portfolio, quit your job sooner, and avoid some of the big mistakes, then check out our mentoring program. It's michaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Just fill out an application, have a call with us, and see where it goes. Even if you don't decide to work with us, that session will give you great clarity about what's important to you in your life and some of the next steps that you need to take. All right, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? Hey, man. So I'm, I'm just curious. Today, we're talking a little bit about you know, mission and and how that that impacts our businesses and what what we do in our lives. And I'm just curious. You know, you have a really strong one. How did you come up with it? <laughs> That's a great question. Because with a conversation with Jay, we do talk about mission. Because there's certain things he does in his business, his investing business, that are mission based that you wouldn't otherwise do. And it's a great question because sometimes you make decisions that are not necessarily the most profitable right? So if I want to make the most money, I will do one thing. And But if I want to satisfy a mission, I might do another one. They're not always in conflict, but sometimes sometimes they are. And I won't say they're in conflict with Jay, but you know, even the stuff that, that, that we're doing, you know, sometimes you have to bring it back to the mission. And our mission really is financial freedom with real estate. And the, the reason I came up with it is because I so desperately wanted financial freedom when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad in 2004. And it literally like took me 10 years. And in the process, I lost like millions of dollars from my software IPO, you know, lost a bunch of hair, probably got my heart attack from that and a bunch of other stuff. Lost a lot of years, a lot of heartache. And so if I look at myself, I'm kind of considering myself the crash test dummy of financial freedom, right? I've done a whole bunch of stuff from flipping houses to wholesaling to lease options. I traded stocks and options for a while. I got into restaurant business. I have a software background. I'm sure I'm missing something out that I, that I did. So I did a bunch of stuff and some things didn't work outright and some things worked for a little while and then didn't work or some things did work, but it's not really what I wanted to do, like flipping houses. There's nothing passive around that. And so as I was reflecting, 
when I was starting a blog in 2014 and started this podcast, I was like, man, look at my journey. What a crap, you know, what a load of stuff that was. Took us way too much time, lost too much money. And that's kind of when I developed clarity around developing a mission around helping other people become financially free faster. And when I looked at all the things I did, it was certainly real estate, but it wasn't just any real estate. It was specifically about apartment buildings. And so when I clarified the mission, I started blogging around um, our apartment building in 2014 on our own website and in our bigger pockets. It became clear to me that apartments was the way to go. And over time, I realized that it didn't even require experience or money because we were able to raise money and we were able to build a team and educate ourselves in very fast order and, and we're able to get into apartment buildings. So, so it kind of developed a little bit over time. I knew that it was a mission. I knew it was financial freedom, but I didn't know how to articulate it. And today we have, we have systems. We call it the dealmaker blueprint that really just outlines how you can go from nothing to literally quitting your job in, in many cases in as little as 180 days, six months. And, and it's because sometimes that first deal is all you need to do. And so, so that has developed over time. But that's, you know, a lot of it comes back to that, to that mission is that kind of gets me going. So great question for that, Garrett. Thanks for that. And speaking of mission, let's get into Jay Morrison because he's also a missions-based entrepreneur for sure. Yeah, like I said before, he's a three-time, you know, high school felon, a high school felon. Yeah, he was a felon, a felon in, in high school, but a three-time felon, dropped out of high school, actually went to jail for several years and just really transformed his life. And it was fascinating to kind of talk to him about the different steps he went through. It wasn't like, oh, from prison to multimillionaire. He, he took a few turns as well. And I think you might be, even though you may not, not have his criminal past, the mindset issues or the setbacks that you've had in your life and dealing with mindset challenges, you might recognize yourself. I certainly did in that. And it was awesome. So let's get right into interview with Jay Morrison. And Jay, welcome to the show today. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, man. And, and you have achieved so much, man. You're a real estate investor. You were a realtor one time. You invest in all kinds of real estate. You were on TV a bunch of times. You're an entrepreneur, a social activist. But man, it wasn't always that way. You came from a, a pretty dark past. So talk, just talk a little, give a little background on yourself. Yeah. Hey, guys, Jay Morrison here, 20-year real estate veteran. But I did get into the industry in an untraditional way. So I grew up thinking that basketball, I grew up in poverty, below the poverty line to a single mom, six of us and a two bedroom. And through that, I decided early that I wanted to be successful. But what I knew of my environment growing up in New Jersey in the mid the 80s and mid 90s, if it wasn't in sports, if it wasn't through music or rap, it was through the streets. And so a lot of my family were drug dealers. And that's why I actually dropped out of high school at 16 years old and was a drug dealer uh, full-time at a point. Went back and graduated high school, but four months later landed on Rikers Island in New York, facing three years to life in prison for uh, a drug crime. And didn't correct me, right? It only just taught me more when I went to prison. And so I literally was like committed to the streets for like 10 years of my life from 15 to 25. And my first real estate interaction was in 1999, where my mom was trying to buy a single family in Somerville, New Jersey for $100,000 and she needed 3% down and didn't have it. And so I was able to be her cash partner and gave her the three grand to buy our family's first house in, in 1999. You know, it's, it's amazing. You always say you are the average of the five people around you. And, you know, if you're growing up in, in the place you're growing up, well, you're looking around, you're like, I, I just want to be like these guys. 
you know, yeah. and, and, and it works for in, in a good way or a bad way. Like, I mean, I did not have any kind of environment like you did, but I was never surrounded by entrepreneurs. So I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until I was in my early 30s. There's no entrepreneur anywhere to be seen around in my entire environment. We call that the corporate trap, right? Yeah, you yeah, think yeah, that, yeah. That, that that's your way out. It's going to be just to you know, I'm going to get a good, oh, yeah. I'm going to go to school, get good grades, get a good job. And I'm going to, that's the right? one, that's the plan, man. That's the plan. That's the only one, only plan I knew. And, and like you, like, yeah, and, for, and, for and me, you, I don't know what your, your trap was. I don't know what you call that. That's we also call that the trap. corner trap. My trap was oh, okay. the corner trap. So for me, outside of just even like my environment, like the neighborhood around me, my mom was a drug dealer, like at, in her early twenties, my, my stepfather was a drug dealer. He did 13 years in prison, right? Like my grandfather was the town weed man in the 60s and 70s, right? So that was my environment. That was normal for us, like a family trade, you know, right? So it wasn't that abnormal for me, but it honestly taught me a lot of entrepreneur skills very early, very early on. Yeah. So so how did you make the shift then? Like what caused the shift from that life to a different life? Two things. One was exposure, right? So in 2002, I was 22 years old. I was a three-time felon by 21 years old. Ended up serving two and a half years in prison. And in 2002, I was on a parole program in, in New Jersey. And on that program, one of the mentors was a men's group. We got up on Saturday mornings and it was like all the felons and all the bad kids. And we had uh, this mentoring session. But the mentor referred me to a mortgage company. He said, you're, you're clean cut. You speak well. Um, my wife, instead of you working these warehouse jobs or, you know, you know, fighting with the system, working these retail jobs, um, just to have a job that you know, on parole, you had, to, you had to keep a job to stay home, right? Just to keep from prison. So I was just getting any kind of odd job to just fulfill the requirements. So this pastor and mentor was like, hey, you got more, you know, more potential than that. Just, you know, he said, why don't you take this card? My wife's a processor at a mortgage company. Go in. They hire commission only as loan officers. I know I did what that was at the time. And so I literally went in and, and they hired me as a loan officer, as an LO with a 70-30 commission, 30% to me, small side. But I was able to refinance my grandmother's house and refinance my aunt's house in the first 60 days and made like six grand. And now, so that was exposure I got to the industry. Like, oh shit, there's actually something outside of the streets that make real money. You know, isn't that funny? Sometimes some other person sees something in you that you don't see yourself. That's a fact. That That's so usually weird. the case. That's usually the case. Yeah. It happened to me, and, and, and hopefully I've done it a few times to other people. It's so obvious to me and another person. The other person doesn't see it at all, and, and it happened to me the other way around in the same way. And it looks like it happened, happened to you. And so now that's you're why, on a different track. Yeah, yeah. That's why mentors are so important. Coaches are so important, right? Advisors. So that exposure helped me get on that right track. And the second part of me getting on the right track was it was pure self-belief, right? It was like at 2005, I was on a street corner in North New Jersey on South 10th and Springfield. And I was like overseeing a heroin dealing operation. And I was 25 years old. I'm like, Jay, where are you going to be when you're 30? I'm like, bro, you got three felonies in three different states at 25. You're still selling dope in North New Jersey. These guys are carrying guns. There's bloods, there's crips. It's like, bro, what are you doing with your life? So I just literally was like, you know, are you a hustler or are you a drug dealer? If you're a hustler, you can hustle anything. If you're a drug dealer, you only can sell drugs. And I really just challenged myself, like, no, nah, man, like, I'm, I'm bigger than this, I'm better than this. And I was like, you know, what would it be like if I, you know, I was, that's 10 years at that point, 15 years old to 25 years old, that I was literally a drug dealer. That was my vision. That was my goal. That was my vision board, right? That was like my aspiration was to be my town's biggest drug dealer. Like, that was par none. That, that was my, you know, right? So you looked, um, you looked at the high, like the highest version of that. You're like, all right, I want to be that. 
I want to right, I want to be the kingpin. Like I want to be the Frank Lucas. Like I want like all that. Like I so so and that's how we ran our operation. Like I want a big operation. I mean, I was at 17, I was making like five thousand a week, right? So I'm calculating how how many weeks I got to go to a million, right? Like I'm always like, I just want I want, I want to be a millionaire, right? It's like 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 all of us. I just thought I could make a billion selling drugs. You were an entrepreneur with visions and a plan, like everybody else. It just happens it was an illegal thing. But really, the mindset and the things you went through were with you at an early age. Maybe yeah, misguided was, a little was, bit, but you probably thing, learned man. a lot. Yeah, it was the same thing. It was commission splits. It was inventory. It was, <laughs> it was giving sales. all samples. It was top of funnel. It was all of that, man. But then you you put yourself on, a, on another track. Yes. And I, I study this sometimes yeah, with I people. Did. Yeah, God did. Yeah, no, I understand. I, I, I understand, but you got to you got to take a first step. Also, you know, he's not going to do that for you. I, right. And I understand. I yeah, I, that's a good point. <laughs> but when you trace back the first step that someone takes in a different direction, it all comes with a decision that mm. someone makes in their mind. Like, what was the decision that you made? Did you remember the moment or the time when you said, "No, I'm going to walk in this direction"? Yeah, and you know what? definitely popped back to me when you said decision and also with like self-worth. The thing was, is like, I felt I was better than the outcome that I was on track for. Like, no, like I'm better than that. I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. Right. So I see more of myself probably for the first time in a long time. And that moment was, I walked away for that day. Like I didn't say, you know what, I'm gonna get one more flip in or when I get to this number, I'm going to quit. I literally had that that epiphany, that, that real personal realization moment. And I literally broke my trap phone. I had like two ounces of Coke left. I gave it to one of my partners, my, my, my dope I had left my hair. I gave it to my other partner. I'm like, yo, I'm out, yo, y'all got it. And I literally just quit the dope game. I, I what, like happened? what happened? What happened there? What that? happened there? What happened there? Because your entire life shifted in that very moment. Like, was it a, you know, was it just simply a moment of grace? Was there some kind of trauma? Like what, what happened in that, in that moment? Well, you have to realize that like, I come from standing on welfare lines with my mom and I, I come from like the free lunch tickets in school. And I come from like the hand-me-down clothes and like real poverty, right? Like lights off, like heating your household by boiling water, you know? So when I realized that, but then I've seen six figures as a drug dealer, right? So I changed my family's dynamic. So I became the man, but I had a, I had a blue face of Mariner Rolex at 17. Like this is early, right? I had a, I had a Lincoln, Lincoln Navigator cash paid at 19 years old with no license. I had done phenomenal things from my world's view at that time. And so what I was saying is like, if you're this phenomenal of a guy, you know what I mean? Cartier roaster, right? Like all this stuff, I'm in my early twenties. So if you're, if you're this dynamic, that this operation, I was employing my cousins. I was like all this, I had a drug trafficking ring from New York to the Baltimore to Maryland, all sophisticated stuff, eight cell phones, all of this. If, you, if, you, if you're this complex of a thinker and you're, you have this much potential, then it was the moment for me to be like, all right, prove it in something else. And do it in somewhere your mom can be proud of you. Do it somewhere your daughter, a, a, a daughter at uh, 18 years old, a teenage dad. And like do something your daughter can be proud of instead of going to her father's, you know, father-daughter days at school and lying to everybody about what I do for a living. Right. So it was, it was a sense of pride then that really just kicked in, was like, you know what? Let me challenge myself and let me go be a better version of myself. You know, it requires a lot of reflection. That's obviously you sat there and, and you thought about things. And most people, many people don't do that. They don't sit there long enough and think. Think, where am I currently going? Where, and if I, if I keep on a path, is that where I want to end up? Is that the destination I want? And you obviously did that, even though you, you had actually a pretty good life, you know, at, at the time. 
But now, if I remember correctly, so you took this this mortgage job in like 2005, if I'm keeping track right. And yep. in 2012, you were the real estate expert on the Today Show. Yeah. <laughs> what happened in seven years? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. My first mortgage job, 2002. I did it for like a year, graduated parole, then dumped it, went back to the streets. 2005 is when I had the epiphany, the final epiphany of like, you know what, let me try that mortgage thing, that real estate thing full time. So in 2005, decided that that thing, that seed that was planted in 2002 that I liked, I liked the financing, I liked the numbers, the points, I liked the commissions. I got it. It was business, right? And I liked real estate. I liked the right appreciation, all that. So I got real serious about it. And the same energy, the same 24-7 mentality that I had in the streets, like I would take I would, you know, do drug transactions that call me anytime, right? I'm never asleep. I'm always going to get up for the money. So I took that same mentality to real estate. So it's like my clients, like there was no like five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. You can't call me. Like, no, we're talking about money. Call me. So I just took a, a, a real serious ambition to it, but not just the, the practice of marketing or business development or building a pipeline, but learning. I literally soaked up knowledge and I, and I just cuffed under mentors. And I just gleaned and I just extracted like all this intimidating information, everything from a proper business etiquette to, to, to speech patterns, to, to greetings and salutations, to email signatures. I just had, I, had to re, I, I never had an email before. I had to learn how to work an email for the first time in 2005, 2006. So like these are all new concepts to me, but I literally just engulfed myself in it the same way, you know, 16 year old Jay engulfed himself into how do you break down a gram of cocaine and bag up 520s and how do you put it to the block, right? So I just approached it with a, a real sponge-like mentality and, and I executed. I had a lot of my risk tolerances higher than most people because my day-to-day life for 10 years would cost me my freedom or my life. So like investing only with your credit or investing with real estate, right? It's like it's like the, the concepts that we, we have in business and real estate, they don't like turn my stomach. They don't, that's not real risk to me. And so I was able to approach the business just like a real informed, but yet aggressive way. And, and I also understood verticals. So like I was a loan officer first, and then I closed my first two family house and I saw commissions the realtor made. And then I got my real estate license and then I got my next two family house and then right. And started building my, my real estate portfolio, but I was getting commissions as a loan officer and as a realtor, not only just what I purchased or finance for myself, but now I was Mr. Real Estate. Because I had this like wealth of knowledge of financing and or I had access as a realtor, but then I also understood numbers and returns as an investor. If you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, we'd love to hear from you. Go to nighthawkequity.com, click the join button and join our investment club. Fill out a short form and then you can have a call with us and we'd be happy to share with you some of our upcoming investment opportunities we have. That's nighthawkequity.com. Talk to you soon. So you got into real estate, you know, through the brokerage and the loan, the loan side of things. And it sounds like you started buying some rental properties as well, those single family houses. From the very the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. How many of those did you, did you do before you started shifting? Oh man, probably 30 to 40 transactions on the acquisitions or mm. wholesale side, probably three and a half million or so in real estate holdings. Um, in a lot of transactions as a loan officer. And I, I became a branch manager, actually. I managed two mortgage branches. So I rose a branch manager and had teams under me 
2007, 2008. But I'm saying all those things prepared me to work for Sotheby's in 2012 as the first African-American male hired by prominent property Sotheby's in, in Bergen County and list a $10 million French Chateau in Alpine, New Jersey. We didn't sell it though, but I did get the listing. And break into these markets and, and become a celebrity realtor on NBC and, and a real estate expert for Today Show. All that was just like a body of work of me being just so immersed in the business, right? I just like was really immersed in the business and had all those years of just my life experiences take with me. Now you have a, you have a fund now that you have as well. You've raised, yeah. you know, I don't know, a good amount of money for that, for that fund. Mm-hmm. And why did you do that fund? And tell us a little bit about, about you know, what you're doing with that. Yeah, so, so to do all my time in mortgages and, and investment and development and just being a real estate entrepreneur, I often or always had to always go to someone else for, for capital, right? And, and many times we went as a African in America, minority, they say, say, like we had to go to, to outside of our community in order to get capital, right? Where a lot of times some communities can, can invest right within their, their own community. And so as gentrification was happening and as I, we understood the need for capital to really fuel the development of our communities, I was like, well, what would it look like if we were able to come together and have small micro investments to like democratize capital raising and allow the non-accredited investor and the accredited investor to invest together, right? And in small micro investments, but not a GoFundMe where you just get like a t-shirt, but we actually have equity and ownership, right? And in, in the company. And so at the time of, of us thinking about that, the Freddie Gray uprising was happening in Baltimore as well. I was on the ground there and activism. And we're really trying to figure out like solutions for our community. Like what can we do like to like do something for ourselves? And we were like, well, let's try to pull our resources together and do all the things we say should be done. Like, let's go do the work. And so at that time, President Obama had passed a Jobs Act. And as we had this concept of leveraging my, my brand on social media and other partners and, and that we've had and members of this movement, we were able to um, launch this Reg A Tier 2 fund. And uh, we, we formalized mm-hmm. it in 2016, got the SEC qualification in 2018, launched June 1st of 2018, and raised several million the first week uh, of, of the fund. Uh, we offered $500 minimum investments for, for 10 uh, shares or units of our company, $50 per share. And we're able to go out and deploy capital and, 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 and invest in these assets and be a co-syndicator on projects throughout the country and really figure out mass level crowdfunding and, and, and fund management where our fund has over 15,000 partners, right? There's 15,000 LPs in our fund and members. So managing all that, is something very, very new. And we've done a pretty good job at it. We've had some things we could talk about in a second in regards to the, the obstacles even in, in this fund, but it's, it's been a great journey so far. Hey, how do you scale to 15,000 members? That's, that's insane. That's, that's a Speaking lot of, of reach. <laughs> it's a lot of K1s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. That, that just, just postage for, for, for those K1s is, is somebody's, Yearly flip. <laughs> How do you reach all those people and, and get them on board? What did you do different well, than a lot of people out there? Thanks for that question. What has separated me has been my level of online activity and content creation and all that we do, but also grassroots participation. And so I've held to date approximately 65 corner classes 
where I've literally taught real estate, credit, business on street corners in inner cities. I've been to 34 cities. I've taught a 24-hour corner class on the west side of Atlanta here where I got up at 6 a.m. and I taught a class every other hour on the hour. 12 classes in 24-hour street. I never left the corner. And so like, I gave back and sowed a lot of seeds into the community, over a thousand YouTube videos, a lot of viral actions, but then like a lot of um, people seeing me actually doing the work while I'm teaching as well. Like, we have our, our school, uh, Jay Morris Academy and our real estate roadmap program. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's just a mix. A lot of people do stuff online and gain followings and followers and blue checks and verifications. But when you have touched the people like in their community, in their environments, that's where you kind of get that swell of like real like support. So you, you basically, you hit them from a few different angles. And I'm, I'm assuming the street corner stuff probably had a lot of word of mouth impact. Did you also leverage that? I'm assuming through a lot of social media activity and just kind of utilizing those platforms as well. Yeah, the social media for sure was our medium for dispersing the message. But I think one of the key points is mission, right? The, the mission was aligned and that resonated with the people because they all had a like mission. We were giving them a vehicle. So I would say this for like even smaller syndicators, that syndication, that multifamily apartment complex, that 10 unit or that 110 unit, it's a vehicle for somebody's financial investment, for somebody's financial freedom for somebody's legacy piece. So we have to look at our syndications, our SPEs, our LLPs, our LLCs. We have to look at these as many vehicles. What we created with Tulsa Real Estate Fund was just a massive vehicle, but it allowed everybody to share in the ride of the vision and the mission of the fund. Yeah, your, your mission is to bridge generational wealth gap. Like, what do you, what do you, what does that mean to you? Like, what, what keeps driving you every day? I believe in solutions. And I think that, again, exposure, education, and information, and then intentionality can literally help balance what I think we all, I think in our generation now, and just like this climate of America, I think we all kind of got it at this point, right? We all kind of got that there's an imbalance, there's inequalities, and it's like, okay, well, what can we all do, right, to have a justice and liberty for all, right? So for me, it's like, I believe in self-accountability. The same thing that got me off the street corner, right? Like, I mean, I grew up to a teenage mom. I had a, a screwed up environment. I had three felonies. So I could easily say I can't do real estate with three felonies, right? I could have bowed out and made excuses to not better my life. But I believe in self-accountability because at the end of the day, it's my life. So if my life ends up screwed up, that's not, y'all don't care. That's on me. I got to live with that. No matter how jacked up my obstacles have been, right? And, and so same thing goes for, a community or for a country, no matter how definitely the experience has been, if we want the outcome to be a better outcome, we have to do better things. We have to do right, like new work. And we, so, so, I, so I just believe that, that, that things really can change and really, really can shift and that I could be a part of that shift. So one, one thing I noticed about you, Jay, is that you have this ability to dream up an idea and then put it into motion. You know, you've got so many different things working. What do you think really contributes your ability to do that? That's a great question. I think that, okay, on a high level, philosophical level, like it's our duty is when God gives us these visions and these purposes and that nudge, that burning desire, that unction, it's our duty to execute and, and to tap into that. I think what's allowed me to do it so much in my life is what I call a BBBP. It's having a burning desire, having big, bodacious goals, 
being intentional about those goals and persisting. And that's really like addictive to me. It's like dopamine to me. Like I love manifesting things, right? Like I, I love taking an idea and a vision because I've done that early on in my life. Like, so like I, I watch myself visualize being unpoor or visualize myself being in a different position. And same thing, even with the NBC and a celebrity realtor, like I barely became a realtor by the skin of my teeth because of the three felonies. I had to sign petitions and, and get reference letters and all kinds of stuff. So then to become a celebrity realtor on NBC is like, I've seen amazing things happen in my life. And so I literally was like going to the Today Show and I'm like, yo, I can't believe this. Like, I literally know how to like cook crack, like in a microwave and a stove. And they're like, let me on NBC. This is cool. So, <laughs> so, so, so just seeing those kind of manifestations happen in my own personal life, I believe that it can happen on a much larger scale as well. And I believe that if we just dream bigger that we can do bigger things. I think a lot of times we limit ourselves, and I just think limitless. What are you visualizing right now for yourself moving forward? A billion dollars of assets under management. And what difference would that make to you or the world? Knowing my heart, knowing my financial aptitude, and knowing my intentionality, I believe that we can circulate way more dollars to underserved investors, developers. We can rebuild We can rebuild neighborhoods the right way, rebuild communities the right way. I don't believe that community development, like you can't have community development without building a community. If all you're building is the real estate, mm. and like if, like if you only flip the real estate, we don't flip the people, or you only develop the real estate, don't develop the people, like it's, it's a counterproductive community development. So I believe that we can execute community development. I believe we can help bridge the wealth gap and just provide more opportunity and resources, man. Like Don people said, capital this is a very true quote. It's like capital is the fuel to real estate and entrepreneurship, man. It's a capital flow. It's about how much capital we have access to. And I think that as our firm can help provide capital to minority developers and investors and get into great syndications with those of all on walks of life, um, I just believe it'll it'll open more eyes for people. Like we have people that have invested for the first time in their life who may only have 10 shares in our company, but they've owned an apartment complex through our company. They own a class A commercial building through our company, right? They're, they're, they're a part of that. And so giving people that opportunity to participate in ownership in these kind of asset classes is, you know, legacy work. So Jay, this question just comes from my experience. So I, I actually owned... 300 rental apartment units in the South side of Chicago. When I first got started, that was kind of my background. So I've seen how those types of investments differ from the stuff that we're, that we're doing now, but a lot, one of the things I saw consistently and, and just kind of coming from, you know, the background you have and, and your knowledge and experience, you know, I'm just curious what your take on is how, how section eight is kind of looked at. Is, is that something that you view as something that's a positive thing for people in, in these types of communities? Do you think that it's 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 all screwed up and sideways that, that people have these programs available? I'm just, just curious about it. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a duality to it. There's a need for assistance, right? Government assistance, especially in, in our poverty neighborhoods. But Better, more comprehensive assistance would be also empowering those people to be able to get in position to literally do for themselves and create create incentivized programs that allow people to actually have some carrot 
to get off those programs, right? And, and be able to assist themselves. And I believe in self-security, not social security, right? So we want everyone to be self-sufficient at the end of the day. So I believe that from a, from a perspective of a social right perspective, but, but I do believe that, and I advocate for folks not taking advantage and being lifetime government assistance where they don't need to be, but not use it as a crutch. It has literally crippled families because a lot of times for those programs, dads aren't allowed to be in the house if you want to be on those programs. So it literally keeps families apart at sometimes. From a real estate investor standpoint, we like it because you're getting top market rents many of the time. If you screen your tenants well, you can still get some decent tenants. But, right. but so, they incentivize so it weird. That's the thing. It's like it's it doesn't force people to want to get off it. They, right. They, they're incentivized to have more children to get higher rent amounts, live in a bigger place. And so I dealing with that a lot. I was just I thought it was so backwards in that format. Whereas I agree, I think there should be definitely should be support out there. But the way it's set up is not for everyone to win in these communities. And that's what made me sad as I was like, okay, it's great for it's me not. as a landlord to get to get these vouchers and to get to get the residents in there. But then they didn't appreciate the homes that we were in. And they did go and, and destroy them. On top of it, they had they were incentivized to just you know, not have to have as many kids as possible so they could get into these places. So it's, I think the methodology and the way that it's, it sits, I think that's screwed up. And I agree a lot with what you just said, as far as how that, yeah, that goes. Yeah. And I think another, another point to it is they, sometimes I, I know people personally and my family has been through it personally where they get into a crux of like, I want to get off of this program, but housing is this expensive and I only can make this much money, right? So if, so, so if I make so if I make more than twenty eight thousand, yep. I, I go off assistance. But this job is only offering me yep. thirty two thousand. They have to. They can't bridge it, and it's that's, that four thousand delta. I, I can't survive. So you know what? I might as well just. Yep. It's an easier play to do a side hustle to to babysit, to have a paper route, do a cash business, yep. and try to make some other money for my family cash, and get the government check and chill because it's so hard to to earn my way over enough. To have a decent life for myself. But here's another trick though. Section eight can be used for actual housing, not just renting. Right. So that's so what we teach is to get people in position to where using a section eight voucher to actually own a home, then you can participate in the equity. That's cool. You can even own a four unit with your section eight. So you can literally own a home, live in one unit with your section eight, and rent the other three units out as a section eight person. So you still can start in the game off the voucher. So Jay, you've you've seen a lot of success with real estate, all doing all kinds of real estate as yeah, as we talked about. But if you look back on on your own experience and you were to advise someone, maybe in some of the underserved communities that you're you're serving, what advice would you have to them with regards to life in general, but maybe real estate specifically? Yeah, I just think you know what's cool, even from an urban or corner trap or urban environment. These principles really apply to all of us at different levels. We reflect that environment as to what like our current trap is. It might be the college trap. It might be the corporate trap, as we talked about. And if we look at it, we all have like environment obstacles on different levels. And I think the first thing I would give someone is understanding money, even before the real estate, and understanding that you can create so much wealth for yourself an opportunity for yourself when you understand the opportunity cost of money. And that from middle class to wealthy to uber wealthy, people, companies, firms, et cetera, family offices, pension funds, all we know, institutions, 
They're all trying to figure out how to make money move faster and to make more ROI greater than where the money is currently sitting at, right? And I say that for someone that's like from an urban environment, trying to get into real estate from perspective of understanding that if you can make yourself a value add to all the money that's out there, that's looking to earn more money on their money, if you can make yourself a vehicle and a value add to find opportunities that they want to invest in, that give them tax advantages, that's why we love real estate, right? It gives us tax advantages. It gives us equity, gives us appreciation, and it gives us cash flow, right? So these are all financial benefits that if you understand, even if you're broke, even if you come from a, a rougher background, or even if you're from bankruptcy, divorce, whatever you're going through in your life, if you can understand how to be a value add and bring ROI, decent yielding ROI opportunities to people, individuals, families, firms with money, you can always create wealth for yourself out of thin air. But that's one of the first things I always tell anyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love what you're doing because there are, you know, in this business, in the syndication business specifically, it tends to be white male. Okay, really, there's very few women, very few minorities in general. And and I think it's because there's so few role models, right? So few minority role models. So I love what you're doing, man. You're serving as a role model to all minorities, really. And how can people connect with you or find out more about what you're doing? Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate that. And Connect with me, Mr. J. Morrison, on all social media platforms. Website, mrjmorrison.com. That's J-A-Y. Instagram, YouTube, at Mr. J. Morrison. Subscribe, follow, all that cool stuff. And we have a, we do have a free training. If you go to my Instagram, Mr. J. Morrison, click the link in Bob. There's a free training there for all our, our real estate folks. I love it. Great. Great having you on the show, Jay. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Yeah, I liked what Jay said around taking responsibility for yourself. I think that's, that's really profound because most of us don't take responsibility for ourselves. We will blame everybody. We'll blame the government. We'll blame COVID or the war in Ukraine or our parents or, or whatever. Like it's very common. And I think it, it really does start with taking responsibility for ourselves. So I, I thought that was a profound thing that he said. I couldn't agree more. I think he, he put it even as, you know, it's, your duty to execute. So it's it's really up to you to, to figure out what impact you're going to have on the world and those around you. And you can be that value center and just, you know, take your strengths and put them really in in, in any industry and and make them, you know, make them work with enough time and enough effort. And the thing that I saw consistently about Jay is that he was a really hard worker. So he'd go into, you know, a different, he, he literally went from the streets into real estate and he applied that same amount of hard work into real estate. And, and lo and behold, over enough time, he was able to achieve success. And I think that there's definitely something to be said from that. I resonate with it personally because I had to do something similar to get to where I'm at now. I was in a completely different industry uh, in nightclubs, which, which was not the best place to be. I had to make a complete shift and put that intensity into it. So I, I really resonate with that. I saw that that shift and, and how important that is. Yeah, you know, if you if you study anyone who's successful in any kind of business, they have a certain amount of work ethic, right? And Jay has that work ethic, and I th I think that's really important, especially an entrepreneur. You have to have a certain amount of work ethic. I think it's really important. So before you launch on any kind of meaningful journey. You know, how, how, to what degree are you willing to work for it?
right? Because it's not going to go, it's not going to be easy necessarily. You know, you're going to have some setbacks and some challenges. And so how are you going to deal, deal with that, right? And so one way certainly is to have a work ethic. The other thing you mentioned was to have, you know, was to have mentors. Man, that is so key. And I, I didn't use mentors early on in my career. I do now. But especially when you're, when you're, think, when you're having, you know, a hard time or you're, you want to quit or something and you can have an advisor or mentor to fall back on who then kicks you in the shins and gets you back going on. That's so, so critical in, in every, anything that we do. Yeah. Overall, I just think that, you know, this, after talking to Jay and understanding kind of his background, his story, the guy just was able to overcome insane obstacles to put himself into the position that he's in until you, you kind of get to this place where it's like the obstacles become greater and that's always going to be there. But it's like, what problems are you actually solving? Before it was like problems for him were, you know, getting out of the streets, which were, which was life and death at the time. And now he's solving problems. Like, how do I get K1s out to 15,000 LPs, which is crazy. You know, he's solving bigger problems, making more money, making a bigger impact. So I really challenge you guys to ask yourselves, what problems are you solving right now? What level of problems are you solving? And that, that directly correlates to kind of where you're at in your life. Yeah, the other thing is really a decision point, right? Is decide what you what you want. Where do you want to be this time next year? And if you're on a track and it's going someplace you want to be, you got to change tracks. It's as simple and as hard as, as that. I think what it requires though is a decision and, and actually a conscious decision that you want to change your life. And it's simple. It happens like that in a moment, but it's a, it's an authentic thing. And you can always tell, Garrett. I've observed this. You can always tell when. When someone has made a true, authentic decision by their actions, because if you truly decide something, you can't help but make steps in that direction. And people who have not truly decided, they might say they have, but they truly haven't. They don't take make steps in that direction. So ask yourself, are you just saying things, saying things you want to do, or are you actually taking steps in that direction? There's a, a pastor, Stanley, I think in Atlanta, he always talked, it's not I'm going to butcher this thing here, but it's not your intention, okay? It's not the it's not the intention, but the steps that you take that you know that controls your destination, something like that. So it's not what you want, but it's the action that you take. But it all comes from that decision point. So no more excuses, guys. Yeah, take accountability, take responsibility, do figure out what you want, and then figure out how to get it. Surround yourself with the right people. And, and move forward. So hope you guys were inspired with Jay's interview today. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault. 